Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Here's my opening question to you is, uh, maybe even before this morning, when was the last time you laughed? When was the last time you cheered for something? Whatever it may be, whether it was uh, a football game or a sports game or uh, watching a stand-up comedian, when is, the, when is the last time you had a just a good laugh or a stand-up-and-cheer kind of moment? What, what do those moments contain that get you, that make you kind of burst out where you can't contain it anymore, and, and all that comes out is, is joy kind of embodied in your voice and in, in your body? What is it for you? If you can't remember the last time you laughed, uh, or if you can, the next question would be, what is your joy quotient in life? If you had a joy-o-meter, would it be up, way up in the red, or would it be dangerously low, running on empty? Sometimes Christians are really bad at celebration. Sometimes Christians are the worst at joy. And I don't want this to be a shame kind of deal, but for us to recognize, say, uh, for people who live following Christ, for people who have been given the greatest gift in a life that is really life, sometimes we walk, walk around pretty frumpy, uh, where somebody would see that and there's nothing in us that would say, I want to be like that. I want what they have. If we could walk around with a level of joy, what would that do for us? And what would that do for the people that we come in contact with? So do you find yourself able to easily celebrate? Or do you walk around feeling like kind of in a dark cloud? This morning we're going to attack that. This morning we're going to go after it. So we're finishing up the series called Growing in Grace, which has been all about the disciplines. And often, I think people don't associate disciplines with grace. And we're trying to show in this series how the disciplines are one of God's means of grace to us. They're an invitation that we would be able to do life with God. Instead of running around either just kind of obeying God and saying, look, if I do what you command, then you'll bless me, right? And we turn, God, we turn our relationship with God into a contract. I'll do my part if you do yours. But then if God doesn't come through on his, then we kind of say, enough of that. I'm done. And that's a life under God. And we've talked about life under God or life over God to say, I'm my own master and I don't have to submit to him and I don't have to follow his way. Or I can just look at the Bible as a guidebook for life instead of looking at the Bible as a way to connect with God. And life over God doesn't doesn't satisfy. We've talked about life from God, where uh, all the only way we approach God is to say, God, you're the giver of gifts, which is true, but we turn God into a cosmic vending machine. And we say, I'd like one of those, and I'd like one of those, and I'd like one of those, and my neighbor would like one of those, and my mom would like one of those. Would you bless us? Would you give us those things? And if we do that with our relationship with God, then we just become consumers. And we expect God to just keep giving, which he will, but we're still missing the point. 
And we've talked about life for God to say, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to live with great purpose. I, want, I don't want to go through life without meaning. And so I'm going to give my life for you. And the, the only problem with that is that people end up thinking that God is always disappointed in them because they're not giving enough. Or we approach God thinking, it's not about my relationship with you. It's about the purpose you give me. And I feel satisfied because I have meaning in life. All of these four different directions have a way of approaching God to get something from God instead of approaching God to get more of God. And so the, the disciplines are this, this active participatory way that we could say, God, I want to do life with you. I want to do life with you. And so we've talked about prayer and silence and solitude and confession and meditation. And last week we talked about generosity and how to approaching each one of those as a gift of grace, as an invitation to do life with God, opens us up to have a greater radar of what he is doing, that we could actually walk in his presence. And Paul says, pray continuously. And he doesn't mean never get off your knees. He means live life with God in awareness and obedience and being filled by him. So today we're going to talk about celebration. Next week, I'm super excited to start our parables series. How Jesus talked in parables, how he told stories with a purpose so that he could teach us something, either about the character of God or the way that we were made or how life is supposed to be lived. Jesus used these brilliant stories that had kind of this dual effect. Sometimes they confused everything out of people and like, I don't get it. And sometimes he just was straight to the point and it cut people so that it opened them up to deeper relationship with God. I'm, I'm super excited to get into that. And today we're going to talk about celebration. John 15 is one of my favorite passages. Uh, the opening uh, 15 verses or so in John 15, talk, Jesus is talking all about living life with God. And he uses over and over and over and over this word, I want you to abide. I want you to make your dwelling with God. And I want you to stay attached. I don't want you to uh, kind of disembark and do your own thing. Because when we do that, when we go our own way, we lose our life source. And he uses this metaphor of the vine um, and grapes that are growing on a vine to say, the closer you stay connected to the vine, to the main source of life, that is when the fruit is going to show up. And if you just kind of keep going off on your own, you end up growing in a lot of different directions, but without any kind of discipline and actually without any kind of fruit. Jesus says, I want you to abide. He says, I'm going to prune you. There are going to be areas of your life that I cut into because God isn't just close, he's holy. And he calls us not just to a relationship with him on our terms, but a relationship with him on his terms. And he offers us his holiness, but he says, there are going to be times where I poke into your life and I cut you so that you can bear more fruit. Not just because he's sick, and likes to injure us, but so that we would heal, so that our brokenness would be cast aside, and we would have more fruit in our life and a, a deeper connection with him. 
And he comes down to the end of it, and he says in John 15, 11, and we're going to focus here this morning. These things, all about abiding and remaining and the times that I'm going to prune you, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So he's not saying, I just want you to submit. I just want you to obey. His ultimate goal is that our submission and our obedience to him would lead to joy. He's he's saying these things and he's going to guide us and he's going to cut into our lives so that our joy would be full. And this shouldn't surprise us because joy follows Jesus. From the very announcement of his birth, the angels show up and they say what? This would be great joy to all people. Jesus began his public ministry by uh, quoting the Old Testament and proclaiming a year of jubilee. This celebration of great joy. And we are entered into an era of celebration, Jesus said in Luke 4. John 10, Jesus says, I've come so that you might have life. While your enemy wants to kill and steal and destroy, I came so that you could have life. And not just get by, not like, well, I'm going to scrape through life and then get to heaven. But have life. And have it abundantly. That is what Jesus wants for us. Jesus came as the joy bringer. John Ortberg uh, writes about a time where he was giving his little daughter a bath. And she got out of the bath. And like little kids do, she just kind of spontaneously broke into dance. And I'm not going to do it and I'm not going to sing it. But they called it their Dida Day dance where they would just run around, and it was like just pure joy was coming out of his little girl. And at one night, he just said, stop, like stop. And she looked at him and said, why? And he didn't have an answer. He, he wasn't pressed for a meeting. He didn't have something. He wasn't like she was doing something naughty. He just, as adults, we grow out of joy. We can get annoyed by people who are really excited, right? Have you ever experienced that? And we rain on that, and we want to say, just stop. I can't handle that. If you've ever read the book, The Little Prince, uh, I love the opening scene where this child draws a picture, and he shows it to an adult, and the adult says, well, it's a hat. No, it's not a hat. And he keeps showing it, and adults don't get it. And somebody asks him what he is, and he says, it's an elephant, or it's a snake that ate an elephant. So to an adult, it just looks like a hat. But to a kid, like, yeah, I totally get A snake ate an elephant, and that's what it would look like. And the story goes on to say, like, don't share your pictures with adults, because they're just not going to get it. Because adults have lost something. Too often that's the case. So G.K. Chesterton writes, maybe God is more like a child than we are. And he says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. 
for grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. I love that picture. That there is something childlike in the nature of God that just says, I will not get tired of joy. Joy is a big part of God. Sometimes we struggle to see God as joyful. John Ortberg, again, paints this picture of contrast to say, actually, I wonder if we sometimes see God in this way. What if the opening pages of the Bible, what if the opening pages of the book of Genesis started this way? In the beginning, it was nine o'clock, so God had to go to work. He filled out a requisition to separate light from darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night and planets to fill the skies, but thought it sounded like too much work. And besides, thought God, that's not my job. So he decided to knock off early and call it a day. And he looked at what he had done and said, it'll have to do. <laughs> On the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land, and he made all the dry land flat, plain, and functional, so that, behold, the whole earth looked like Idaho. <laughs> he thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but he decided it wouldn't be worth the effort. And God looked at what he had done that day and said, it'll have to do. And God made a pigeon to fly in the air and a carp to swim in the waters and a cat to creep upon the dry ground. And God thought about making millions of other species of all sizes and shapes and colors, but he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for any of those animals. In fact, he wasn't too crazy about the cat. <laughs> Besides, it was almost time for the late show. So God looked at all he had done and God said, It'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was seriously burned out. So he breathed a big sigh of relief and said, Thank me, it's Friday. But that's not what God's like, right? God is joy. And over and over and over in the beginning pages of the Bible, we get this refrain, God said, and it was so, and it was good. And every day God looks at what he's made and says, it was good. And it culminates in us. It culminates in him creating people. And he looks and he says, now that, that is very good. I love that. That right there, humankind, that is my masterpiece of everything that I've created. God is joy. And he wants us to have joy. It's actually a command. We approach it, we approach life with God sometimes without joy. And when we do that, it just becomes a drudgery. It becomes kind of just rote obedience. And then we get tired, and then we stop, and then we go and do whatever else is calling for our attention. And so celebration is an intentional discipline to say, I, I want to increase my capacity for joy. And there's a difference between hedonism 
and celebration. Hedonism says, run after whatever gets you. Run after whatever pleasure calls your name. But the thing with hedonism and the thing with just flat-out pleasure-seeking is there's this law of diminishing return so that nothing ever satisfies. And to get that same high, to get, that, to get to that same place that we were running toward pleasure, we have to do more of something or we have to approach the next thing. Uh, the next big thing is always coming. And it never satisfies. That's hedonism, and it is an empty pursuit because we put pleasure as the top goal. Celebration says, God has given so much, and I want to be more aware. And when I see, I want to take part in it. And when I see, I want to celebrate it. When I see, I want to express gratitude. When I see, my life becomes fuller. And God has already given and given and given and given. And celebration is about, God, would you open my eyes and would you let me respond to what you've already given? The one pursues pleasure and it comes up empty. The other pursues God and it is continually filled. Celebration is an intentional act to increase our capacity for joy. We're not running around just running after happiness. We're actually running after Jesus. Now, there are, I think, at least two blocks to celebration, two hindrances, two roadblocks, two obstacles. And Jesus, I think, paints them in the parable of the two sons. He says there's a, a man who had two sons, and the younger one runs off and lives wildly in a sinful lifestyle. And he comes to his senses, and he comes back, and before he can even... Uh, work up this uh, misdirected, missing the point kind of repentance confession. The father runs to him, says, you're back. You were dead. You're back. I love you. Would you come into the celebration? And he puts the family heirloom on his finger to say, you are a part of our family. And he puts the robe on to say, I, you are embraced in this family. And I want you to, I want you to come into a grand celebration. And does he? He does. What would it have looked like or what would have blocked the younger son from going into the party? I think is pride. I think shame. And pride and shame go hand in hand. That no, I could never. I could never accept that invitation. Would you just hire me on as a servant? And I'll work to earn your favor again. I could never just accept grace. I haven't earned it. And we put ourselves actually in front of God. We say no to God's invitation. My way is going to be better. Pride and shame team up to have a death grip on our joy. We would block ourselves from receiving gifts from others and from God because we think we have to earn all that. That would be one obstacle. The other is painted in the older son who wants the celebration for his sinful, depraved, evil brother starts, who has been welcomed back into the family. The older brother, who has lived a life of obedience for his father and in service to his father, pouts. And he says, there's no way I'm going to that celebration for that dude. 
I won't even call him my brother anymore. It's, that's your son, but that's not my brother. I'm staying out here. What's his roadblock? Judgmentalism and superiority. I look at you and you disgust me. And if you are being celebrated, I want nothing to do with that. You didn't earn it. And I'm not taking part. And the father doesn't leave. While he pouts, the father doesn't leave him alone. The father actually goes out to meet him and says, would you please come into the celebration? You're invited too. I want you to experience this. And he says, we don't know how he ends it. Jesus kind of cuts off the story without telling us what happens to the older brother. The assumption is he's left out there in his judgmentalism. And so I don't know where you are or what steals your capacity for joy, if it's your own pride or shame or if it's judgmentalism. Because sometimes the best Christians are the worst at joy. We're so stuffy sometimes. We don't know how to laugh or we wonder if God would want us to laugh at that. We're like, I mean, uh, no. Or we golf clap or we don't. We don't know how to celebrate because we don't know if that's appropriate or not. And we're just living a moral life. And God has so much more for us. He wants us to experience joy and invite others into it as well. That is why Jesus came. That's why Jesus wants us to abide in him. That's why he wants to prune us and cut into us so that we can have deeper joy. If you are living life without joy, something is wrong. Don't just go the route of trying to pursue pleasure and pretending that that's joy. Happiness, empty happiness is not joy and it shouldn't be celebrated. But if you accept the invitation to a life with Jesus... Submit to him and start to walk with him. Even the little things start to jump out. We talk about what could we do to increase our celebration? What could we do? Uh, First, this is actually a fast. Maybe take a technology fast. We are so plugged in to what is right in front of us. And we have TVs and uh, phones and Netflix and everything that's calling for our attention so that we don't see what's going on in our world. We don't see the people. We don't see the things that we could celebrate because I don't know about you, but I never finish watching a night worth of uh, TV and say, that's worth celebrating. That was so good. Or maybe the finale was, uh, and she finally got the guy and she won and she beat out all the others who weren't worthy of him or whatever. Maybe that's worthy of celebration, but... I don't know. TV and technology, I think, steal our attention. So consider putting it down for a week. Consider taking a technology fast. And if, if you just find yourself crashing at night watching TV, which I'll admit happens in our house, you say for the next week we're going to unplug and we're going to look for creative ways to have fun. We're going to look for creative ways to celebrate. But this fast produces a space for it. Number two, we would take a technology fast. Number two is don't take yourself so seriously. Christians have this tendency to 
feel like we have to behave, feel like we have to have it all put together, and uh, we take ourselves so seriously. Maybe don't. Maybe laugh at yourself. And, and maybe give yourself a break in some way. While we, while we should hate our sin, God doesn't just want us to like, be self-haters. Maybe we could laugh at how bad we mess things up. Still taking our sins seriously. But like, oh man, God didn't quit on me yet. I'm not going to quit. What's next? And yeah, I have that weird tick. And yeah, these are words that I always say. And if you pick up on them, you could actually imitate me. One of the things that students in my student ministry loved was one night I gave them an invitation to come up and say, imitate me for 30 seconds. Oh, it was great. And I don't know how many times after that night they said, can we do that thing again? Uh, No, no, that was enough. But maybe... Maybe just don't take yourself so seriously and laugh. Catch the little things in life. So I don't know if you've seen this. It just happened a couple of days. This lady in her car with the chewy mask. Have you guys seen it? No? I'm going to turn out the lights so we can watch it. Because sometimes it's the little things and we need a good laugh. Let's play that. Can you? Make sure the volume is good and up.
awesome. So awesome. And she gets it. Like the little things. And she doesn't even care. She's just making fun of herself. Anybody crying? I watch that and I can't stop laughing at her hilarity. It is so good. Find little things to celebrate and laugh. Laugh. I don't think God is a killjoy. We approach God like a killjoy, like he wants to snuff out the fun in life. And living with him, within his boundaries, it is, a, it is so wide. He's given us so many options to celebrate and to have joy and to laugh. And we should take him up on that. See the gifts that God has given. When we moved out of our house in Fond du Lac, the last night that we were there, we... Um, we went through every room in our house and we did a happy dance in that room. And it was silly. And if the neighbors were watching, and they probably were because the blinds were gone, but like, we didn't care. It was part of this celebration to say, God, thank you for everything that has happened in these rooms. Thank you for the way that you have met our family. Thank you for the way that you have raised our little kiddos up, for the friends that have been here, for the family celebrations that we have had. And as we went through room by room by room, it was such a rich time. And if you move, though, the stress of moving is enormous. Take time to celebrate. Take time to celebrate a chapter that is passing, that you won't get anymore, but you get to mark and do a little happy dance. Last night when we moved into our house that we just bought and we get to land and we're so excited, we took time as a family to thank God for the things that we love about the gift that he has given us in this house. Thank God we can't believe that you gave us these and like flowers everywhere and birds that are chirping and we can't believe how good you have been to us. And we love this, and we love this, and we love this, and we are so grateful. God, thank you. And we're going to celebrate what God is giving us. Damascus Road. God has been so good to us as a church. We should take time to celebrate milestones and uh, even bumps along the way sometimes. So last week, uh, Kevin told the story here and Justin told Kevin's story at West about how we had uh, come into a firm decision to be a giving church. And say, we want to be faithful. We recognize that God has given abundantly and then we want to faithfully give. And so we started at saying everything that comes in, we're going to we're going to pour out 10% of all of that. And even if we can't pay for the lights, we're going to give 10%. And then we increased it to 11. And we gave even more than that. And then we, this year we're committing to 12. And we're hoping to give even more than that. So we just crossed a milestone in that sense that decision. And this is a time to celebrate, so get ready. Since that decision, we as a church have given over $100,000 this little church in two locations, $100,000 that have gone out that, honestly, we don't even know what's being done with that. We are not in control of that. We are giving it open-handedly, and some of the fruit we can already see, and some of it is just our discipline of giving. And we have great joy, and we can celebrate in our faithfulness 
to say, God, look what you did. Look what you've done in a little church community like ours to give $100,000 is no small thing. I'm proud to be part of this church. And I recognize that God has more in store. That $100,000 is going to continue to grow. And our faithfulness to him and to loving others is going to continue to get bigger. And we're going to continue to celebrate that. So as a church, we're giving. And it's not just about money. It actually connects to people. And so I'm holding in my hand a one-year recovery token. And I'm going to invite Steph to come up. Steph, last week you celebrated two huge days in your life. You celebrated a birthday, which is always a good reason to celebrate, but you celebrated this. You celebrated one year of sober living, one year in recovery where you're allowing God uh, to work healing in your life. You say, I'm not going to pursue, I'm not going to pursue those pleasures that come up empty. I'm going to pursue a source that will not disappoint. And so we as a church, we get to celebrate with you today to say, man, you made it a year, a huge, huge monumental year, and we're excited. Can I give this to you? Can we celebrate her? Don't go away. (laughs) Let's take a moment and uh, thank God and celebrate with him too. Father, we love you and we are so excited to be able to celebrate Steph and her life. Not walking around uh, anymore uh, under the influence of things that steal her life away. But seeking you as her influence. Seeking you as the thing that gets in and fills her. We love that we get to celebrate a year of that, an entire, an entire year that has been filled um, with searching and striving and not giving up. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for this celebration. Thank you for Stephanie. And we thank you for the story that you have yet to write in her life. We love you. We love Stephanie. Amen. We're going to continue to give. We're confident that God is going to continue to change lives and take broken people and heal them, to take lost people and have them recognize that they can be found, to take people who are walking around dead to find that they have an invitation to life. We're going to keep doing that. Damascus Road is not a stable church. (laughs) We are a church that has gone like this, and we ride a roller coaster at times. And we don't want to be a stable church if it means just getting flat. We want to ride whatever ride God has for us. And if he keeps us on our toes, we say, bring it on. We want what you have for us because we want to keep following you and seeing people touched by you.
One stable part of our church has been our elder team. That God has given us faithful elders to lead and govern our church and to do it with humility and to do it with a sincerity of heart and a sincerity of faith to say, we want to take care of this church and we want to serve this church. And uh, when Tim Dunn told me about Damascus Road, it was one of the first things that he said, you can trust the elders. And I have never, ever seen anything that would lead me in any direction other than that. I love, love our elders. And today is a super exciting day because we, Tony's been uh, parading around for the last while saying, I'm an elder candidate. And today we get to strip him of half of his title. Uh, today we're, today we're going to have Tony and Justin come up. And we're going to actually install them as full-blown elders. So you guys can come on up. Justin has been serving our church and uh, jumping in for well over a year now. And in August, Justin gets to come on full-time as a pastor here uh, at Damascus Road and our lead pastor over at West. And we are super excited just about who Justin is, uh, the kind of man of God that he is, the kind of husband that he is, the kind of dad that he is and is about to get to meet his little one. Um, We're super excited about him in his role and relationship here at Damascus Road. And so I'm thrilled to be able to, uh, to call you a, an elder, even though we've been acting like it for a long time. Tony, this is the day where you stop making excuses. <laughs> this is the day where you no longer get to hide behind the candidate uh, terminology. And we get to say we are blessed um, and we love you guys. And so I'm actually going to call Kevin and Matt up uh, as our other two elders to say, I would love it if we as a church could pray over these guys and, um, and take seriously their role. Though I would again approach them and say, don't take yourselves too seriously. Don't lose that joy component and think that you have to be all put together now. Okay? So I have some questions for these guys. And then... A uh, question for the body as well. Uh, Tony and Justin, the, the girls did pretty good with it. So we'll see how you guys answer in unison. Now, first question, do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as both your Lord and Savior and recognize him as the head of the church? Good. <laughs> Will you strive by God's grace to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relational, private or public? And will you continually submit your life and ministry to Jesus and submit to the elders of the church? There's a, so there's a mutual submission going on in that no elder by himself just has all kinds of authority. We all the time are submitting. And I would say we submit to you as well in, in a whole lot of ways. That if you see things in us that need challenging, we invite it and we want it. Last question. Are you willing now to take responsibility in the life of Damascus Road Church as an elder, not just a candidate? And will you seek to lead with humility and courage, combining truth and love, seeing yourself as a lead servant in this church? Good. Let's pray over these guys. 
and recognize uh, the gifts that they are to us in this body. Father, you continue, you continue to give us your grace. We as a church, uh, in a lot of ways, should not still exist. And it has been you that has given us uh, strength and fruit. We continue to touch lives uh, through your grace. Father, we thank you for the elders here. We thank you for uh, the men who they are, for the servants who they are. And we thank you for their character, for the way that they pursue you and the way that they walk um, with a sincerity of heart in you. We thank you for their hearts of service. I thank you for Tony and for Justin and for the way that you continue to teach us through them and teach me through them. I look up to these guys and I'm proud uh, to serve this church with them. And pray that you would bless them, that you would bless us through them, that you'd bless their ministry, that you'd help them above all to be faithful to you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate these guys. There we go. Hey, wait. <laughs> Sorry. Stand up and stand up. This is the awkward moment, right? Here's a question for the church. Do you, Damascus Road, acknowledge and receive these men as elders? And will you encourage them and follow their lead in the ministry of the church? And if so, you say, Good, because that would have been real bad. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Thank you, guys. It's like a well-oiled machine here, right? <laughs> Just super slick. I'm not taking you seriously. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we need to look for ways to celebrate. And I'll say, even when all of life is like a dump truck backing up on us, there are still reasons to celebrate. Because even if the here and now is really hard. We get to look forward to what is yet coming. The Bible writers wrote about a coming reality. When Jesus came and he brought the kingdom of heaven, he would say, it's here, but it's not yet. It's here, but it's still coming. And one day, the mess of this earth fades away. The pain of this place uh, gets healed and is gone. And so even if you can't celebrate in the moment, even if you can't celebrate the pain that is surrounding you, in Christ, you still have this promise that what is now is not what will be. That we can look forward to a future when every tear is wiped away, every hurt is gone, and we find ourselves living face-to-face with our Savior in community with each other, Uh, and fully present with him in a world that is healed. And we can celebrate that in the here and now in anticipation for what's coming. So may we, 
slow ourselves to see what God has given us. And may we intentionally celebrate the gifts that God has given us. And may we accept the invitation to the celebration of life with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. We are so thankful for who you are, for how you stopped at nothing to come and get us and bring us home to you. Now we are still living in a broken world, but we look forward to the one day when all of it is healed. And even in the here and now, there are so many gifts that you give us and we are grateful and we ask and we beg that you would show those to us so that we could respond in gratitude, so that we could respond in laughter, so that we could respond in joy. Would you make us a people who look for reasons to celebrate? Make it so. Amen. We're going to head into a time of worship again um, and communion where we can